All right, if you're turning with me in your Bibles, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes 11, starting in verse 1. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 1. Um, We're going to kind of pick up where we left off last week because I didn't get everything out last week and it was just really weighing heavy on me this week as I was studying. And So we're going to start at the scriptures that I didn't go to last week. But if you didn't hear last week's message... After you hear today, you may want to go back and listen to last week because it's going to really tie into where we're starting out today. Today, I just want to take a few minutes. Not going to take a long time, but I want to take a few minutes and talk to you about being left behind. I'm not talking about a rapture, I'm talking about the future. You know, you can be left behind. The future that God has for you, you can choose to be stuck in the past. You can choose to stay right where you are right now and keep doing things, but you'll get left behind. And today we're going to look at possibly the greatest leader that God's people have ever known. I mean, he's up there. And eventually he got to a point in his life and he made some decisions where he got left behind. He didn't get to walk into the land, into the future that God had for his people. I don't want to get left behind. I want to keep going. I want my story to continue. I'm not ready to write the end yet. So today we're talking about the future. You know when your story's over? Whenever you decide to stop writing. Like you can just stop. Don't stop. So last week we talked about faith and hope and how that's the two things we need to create the future that God has for us. That we've got to have faith and we've got to have hope. And hope only lives in the future. And we talked about the ability to create the future. We're created in His image. He created us to create. This week, I want to start out by looking at some things that Solomon said. Now, you know, Solomon was... David's son and Solomon we know of him and and the Bible refers to him as the wisest man to ever live so Solomon had some wisdom right and he wrote all kinds of things and he gives us all kind of wisdom today this passage of scripture was written by Solomon after he had lived a lot of life he had experienced a whole lot of riches and wealth and he had tried everything and had everything and and We're going to look at some some wisdom that he gives us here today. We're going to look at some practical ways that we can walk into the future that God has for us. So Ecclesiastes 11, 1 through 4. And I'm going to read this to you in a couple different translations. As I studied it this week and looked back at the... It was written in Hebrew, so I looked back at the original language, and then there's several different translations. So I want us to try to get a clear picture of what Solomon was saying here in these four verses. Starts out by saying, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. <clears throat> That's wonderful, Solomon. Then we can have soggy bread. Thank you. What a good scripture. Jesse's grabbing it. Attorney's getting something. 
just need just water or any just something. <clears throat> That's a really weird verse. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. So I don't know about you, but if I cast bread on the water, I don't really want to find it after many days. So what this is, if you look in the Hebrew and look at the original language and stuff, what Solomon's saying here is this is a duck feeding verse. You know how you go to the park and you feed the ducks, right? No, that's not what it is. Thank you. Sorry. I usually don't need one, but get choked up. Oh, that's good. I used to hate being a kid sitting in church and we weren't allowed to have like drinks. My dad used to preach for like three, four hours and I'd be so hungry and so thirsty and he would always have water, drink up there for himself and he would drink it and it was almost like he was saying, I get a drink and you can't go. And if you did get up and try to slip out, he'd call us out in the middle of the service. So, <clears throat> okay, side note. All right, back on track. <clears throat> Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fall to the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. Boy, this is deep. I bet y'all didn't know that. I mean, that's some wisdom right there. If a tree falls to the south or the north, where it falls, that's where it lays. All right, keep going. If it's meant to be, it'll be. Verse 4. He that observeth the wind shall not sow. And he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. What in the world do these four verses mean? Okay, when Solomon wrote this, he had built an amazing shipping enterprise, bringing things from all over the world back to Israel. And this was the first of its kind. And Israel kind of became like the hub of the world back then. And they had ships, and Solomon was the smart enough and good enough businessman to build this enterprise and he would send ships out to all different places in the world and all over places that they had never been or places they had never seen and they would send these ships out over the water and what was it that they had to trade well i'm glad you asked israel has always been an agricultural phenomenon according to the old history books and at this time they were really, really good at growing. They had lots of grain, wheat, and bread that they made out of the grain and wheat. 
That's what they were good at. That's what they had an abundance of. That's what God had blessed them with was that they could grow a lot of wheat and a lot of grain and they could make really good bread. So that's what they had. They had a bunch of. So Solomon would fill these ships completely full of grain and or bread and he would send them out. Send them out on the waters. Send them out on the sea. And he would do this and tell them to go and find other people on other places and go give away the grain, give away the bread, give away the whole ship full of food. And he would just send out ship after ship after ship. Seven. No, send eight. Let's send another one. Send that one. Fill it up. Not knowing if it would ever return. That's what, that's what he's talking about here. And then the cool thing is they would come back with gifts or blessings from other places. There are stories, if you go read some of the history books and stuff that are parallel with the Bible, they talk about like they would go and take a shipload of grain and bread and they would come back with like monkeys and exotic animals or they would come back with... <coughs> with gold or ivory or different valuable things would be sent back to them as like a, a blessing or a token of thanks for, hey, you just sent a whole shipload of food that's going to feed my tribe for months and months just out of your generosity. So here, let me send you something back that we have. You have grain, you have bread. So he's actually talking about generosity. He's talking about taking what it is that you have and sending it out. And he's talking about putting it on ships and sending it out into the sea. And back then, if you think about it, like nowadays, it's a little different for us because we can go get on an airplane and pretty much fly across any sea or ocean there is. Pretty much a day's time, we can go fly over whatever seas. But to them, once you packed everything on a ship and sent it out into the sea... It may not come back. <clears throat> there were pirates and cracking, I don't know, all kind of things. Ships just disappeared. They fell off the edge of the flat world because they didn't know that it was round, so they just fell off back then. Now we know, so we don't fall off. But all the different things, like you could just lose it. Plus their craftsmanship wasn't that great, so a lot of their ships just sunk if a storm hit or something. We're talking a long time ago. So there, there was no guarantee. When he would load these ships down with all this food and with all this value, like it was pretty valuable, and he would just send it away with the men that he had hired to sail the ships. And sometimes the ship never came back. Who knows? They might have docked somewhere and used that food to start their own village or colony or something. But Solomon's saying... Cast your bread upon the waters. Don't be afraid to sacrifice. Don't be afraid to be generous. Don't be afraid to just give. Give of what you have. Give of what you have because if you don't ever learn to give of what you have, then that's all you'll ever have. You can just sit here and accumulate as much as you can for you, you but then that's all you'll ever have. You know that scripture that says the world of the generous gets larger and larger, but the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And as I get older, I see that more and more and more in, in my own life. And I can see it in the lives of my family members. And I can see it in the lives of 
people in church and like the generous people, their world just keeps getting bigger and bigger and, and God keeps expanding them and adding to them and blessing them. And, and you know I'm not just talking about finances. Right? There's a whole lot. There's a lot of things that are more important than, than money and finances. Your world just gets bigger and bigger. You know what the main thing of it is? Your reach, your impact, your legacy, the mark that you're leaving on the world, the people that you're able to touch and reach and help find freedom. And you just get bigger reach. Your world gets bigger and bigger. You're able to help more and more. Can we say it that way? You can help more and more people that are in need. You can feed more and more people. You can help more and more people find freedom. Solomon's saying, be generous. They would come back with spices and monkeys and peacocks and ivory and gold. He's just talking about sowing and reaping. Remember the principle? It's letting go of what you have so that you can have more. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Well, okay, cool. So if I make a sacrifice, when will there be a return? I like how, I like how he said, after many days. I don't know. Many days. There's no set number. There's no set time. It's, it's many days. It's not immediate. Sowing seed is never immediate. You don't walk out there and throw out a handful of corn and stalks shoot up and you start picking it. No. It always takes time. You have to be willing to let go of what you have to receive more. There's, there's no genie. Poof. What do you need? In fact, there's not even a guarantee. Stuff can happen. When you send all your grain on a ship out into the ocean, into the unknown, all, anything can happen. It's a risk. Just like giving. Just like you walking up here and giving your hard-earned money and trusting that it's going to go to good and it's going to help people. and Just like you choosing to, to come up here and serve and teach one of our classes or you just show up outside and trim bushes because they need to be trimmed and no one's ever even going to see it or know who did it. They're just going to see, hey, bushes look nice and they're going to come in here and get a touch from God. Right? It, it's when we serve, we sacrifice and, and there's no guarantee that we're going to get something, that we're going to get some big blessing for that. We serve. Oh, Thank you. cough drop like there's no guarantee that when we start that ministry that God told us to start of what's going to come back or how much there's not a list of how hard it's going to be because right? if there was we wouldn't do it It's just obedience. You know, we talked about that last week. That's how we measure success in the kingdom is obedience. It's not by wins and losses. 
Because a lot of times when we step out in obedience, it looks like a loss. In, in fact, when we step out in obedience, a lot of times we lose things. We're required to sacrifice things and, and it looks like we're losing. But if we're obeying the voice of the Father, we're not losing. Right? That's a win. Every single time we step out, I got I to gotta, I gotta keep moving. When you risk the sea, or when you cast your bread, or some translations say cast your grain on the water. But there is a guarantee that if you don't risk, and if you go through your life never making a sacrifice, that your bread and your grain or what you have, that's all you'll ever have. Do not get a monkey. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Keep your bread. That's what Solomon's trying to get across in those first couple verses. I want you to look at how the Message Bible, the Message Bible words, those same four verses, it brings a little clarity. Be generous. Invest in acts of charity. Charity yields high returns. Don't hoard your goods. Spread them around. Be a blessing to others. This could be your last night. Right, you don't know. This might be your last day. So try to bless other people. When the clouds are full of water, it rains. When the wind blows down a tree, it lies where it falls. Which, that seems pretty obvious, but we're going to talk a little more about that in a minute. It's like, I heard about this 90-year-old man. that He was in World War II, and they had him speaking to a bunch of kids at the library, which turned out to be, the kids thought it was kind of boring. And then they opened it up to ask him some questions, and so one of the kids, one of the first kid to ask a question, they were like, okay, what's your question? And he said, how'd you know when the war was over? And the old, the 90-year-old man said, when they stopped shooting at me. <laughs> kind of obvious. <laughs> to where a tree falls, that's where it lies. Don't sit there watching the wind. Do your own work. Don't stare at the clouds. Get on with your life. He's saying be generous. Don't just keep what you have. Sacrifice, give, help people. Be generous with what you have. If God just handed you everything it is that you need and everything that you want and everything that you're praying for and he just handed it all to you, then you wouldn't need faith. You wouldn't need to pray anymore. You wouldn't like, you wouldn't have to trust him. If you just had it all figured out and you had everything you need, your finances were figured out and your relationships were all figured out and your ministry was figured out and you had it all laid out and you knew how you were going to accomplish it all and you had enough money and enough time and enough talent and enough education and everything, then what would you need God for? Nothing. You just do it. You'd change the world and leave a mark and have a huge, great legacy and be the most awesome person ever. But you're not Jesus. And neither am I. In fact, we were created to have to rely on each other and God if we want to do something great. 
we got to have other people. We got to have a church and a community and people, and look, because no one of us can do it. Not any one of us can walk into the so called promised land, the place that God has for us, alone. We need each other. You know, we talked a lot about faith last week. And again, we're talking about faith some this week. Here's something crazy to think about. There'll be no faith in heaven. You won't need it. Faith's for right now. When you're alive, living on this earth, you get to have faith and you have the choice to use faith and to believe. When you're in heaven, there is no faith. You, are, you know everything. You see everything. You Like you're there, your spirit's with God. You don't have to step out and trust and believe the next step. And No, you don't even need it anymore. We get to have it now and use it now. There will never be a right time to give or to sacrifice. Noah would have never built the ark waiting on it to make sense. Well, I'm going to wait until that makes sense because there never even been any rainfall, so I don't know why I should try to... And then none of us would be here because all humans would be dead. We would have gone extinct. Waiting, Noah waiting on it to make sense. So what are the things that God's called you to do? What are the areas that God's called you to step in? The new area, the new way, the new. He's trying to stretch you and grow you. And he wants you to have the faith to step out and create this future. But, but you're waiting on it to make sense. You're waiting to figure out how you're going to financially afford to do that. Or you're waiting to... Until you finish getting that degree, because right now you're not educated enough to actually step out and start doing anything. Or I don't know what your excuse is, because I got a whole list of mine. But what is it? Your faith, it's got to grow. So we don't want our faith to become stagnant. We don't want our faith to just plateau and stop and never grow. And, and faith is like a muscle. Every man is dealt a measure of faith. Man and woman, mankind, all people were dealt a small measure of faith. Just like every man was given abs. Right? But guess what? You can't see a lot of them. Right? Because of what we choose to do. Every man was given a measure of faith, but when I look at most people's lives, I can't see your faith at work. Why? Because you ain't been working it. You've not put it to the test. And, and listen to this. Here's, here's the thing. If I want to get my bicep real strong and big, and I take, say I haven't been working out for a long time, so I can't lift much weight. So if I take a 15-pound dumbbell and I sit here and start curling the 15-pound dumbbell, I'd probably be pretty sore because, it, like I said, if I hadn't been working out my arm in a while, probably pretty sore. But if I just keep curling that 15-pound dumbbell and I never up those weights, eventually I'm just going to plateau and maybe at best maintain whatever size my arm is and whatever strength I am well, I can go to work on a 15-pound dumbbell, but it just pretty much stops. 
So if you think about faith like that, like if you never add to it, if you never change it, if you just keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over, after a while, it's not faith anymore. Right? You stop growing. Your faith becomes stagnant and it's not powerful and it's not propelling you into the future because you're used to that. Now it's not faith anymore. It's time to have new faith for a new season. It's a new faith for a new area that God's calling you into. It's got to grow like a muscle. If you never change the weight, you're going to stop growing. It's kind of like parenting. You know, if I never changed the way that I parent, I'd still be trying to make bottles and change Malachi's diapers, and he's going to be 20 this year. Right? Like, that sounds ridiculous. That sounds really awkward. Our relationship wouldn't be good. He wouldn't come around me. He'd try to figure out what's wrong with me. That sounds kind of crazy when we think when we say it like that like well of course you change the way you parent from when your kid was a baby to now he's a grown man then how come spiritually we're so scared of change and growth and the new and we're still doing the same thing we did 37 years ago when we first met Jesus at camp and we've not changed the way we're working. We're not growing. We're not getting stronger. We're not moving forward. We just want it to be like it used to be because that was easier and that worked back then. But it's a whole new culture and a whole new generation and there's whole new challenges. And God gives us grace for today. Right? Like Paul the Apostle was anointed and gifted to write all this uh, two-thirds of our New Testament and do all these things but guess what you have a different grace on you than Paul had on him because you got to deal with the internet and he didn't and I don't know which I mean I hope you got a stronger grace in my opinion there's some hard hard things to deal with and I know you can't you can't compare but It's a new way. He gives you grace for today. Don't stop growing. Don't look back. It's got to change. Just like on your faith journey. We grow. We change. We can't get stuck on same. Because God will constantly ask us for more. Okay, look at numbers. Numbers 20. I told you at the beginning we were going to look at. I mean, you could argue Moses was the greatest leader that God's people have ever known. He's the one that got them out of 400 years of slavery and brought them right up to the brink of the promised land. But Moses, I mean, he was a great leader. He did all these miracles. Moses got them out of Egypt, which was the strongest army and the strongest nation at that time. And he got God's people out of there. So this was, you could argue he was one of the 
He was the greatest. If not the greatest, he was right up there with like maybe King David and I don't know. That's probably about it. Leaders that God's people have ever known. And in this story here in Numbers, verse 20, it's where they're out in the desert, they're in the wilderness, and they got nothing to drink, and all the people are complaining, and they're whining, and they're crying about, it would have been better if we would have been still slaves and left in Egypt. And, and then they're like so specific with their complaining that they're even given lists, right? That, uh, I guess I don't have to read those first few verses. But they're like, why did you bring us up out of Egypt? In verse 5, to this terrible place. It's terrible. I don't know about you, but if me and my family had been slaves for 400 years and I was getting beaten and made to work and they were stealing, killing my babies and stealing my wife and all, like, all the horrible things that were going on in Egypt and now I'm free. I have freedom. And I said, why don't you bring us out here to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs or grapevines or what else are we missing? Pomegranates. Pomegranates? Are you serious? You'd rather be a slave so you could have some pomegranates? This is God's people for you. And Moses had to lead them. And there is no water to drink. Verse 6. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting. And they fell face down. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, Take the staff. And you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes. And it will pour out its water. And you will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. And he and Aaron gathered the assembly together. So far, so good. Following instructions, obeying God, has faith that God's going to come through and send water out of the rock. He gathers everybody there in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, hang on. He takes the staff. Remember, God said, Gather all the people, speak to the rock, and I'll shoot out enough water for everybody. So what does he do? He grabs the staff, gets all the people gathered around, and then he says, Listen, you rebels! Must we bring you water from the rock? And smacks the rock twice with a stick. That's not what God said to do. God didn't say any of that. You made up that whole part about, listen here, you rebels. You complain, and now must I bring you water? And he smacks the rock twice, and water squirts out, and everybody gets a drink. And they're like, man, that was dramatic, but at least we get water. Quick, bring the dogs over here, too, and the donkey. Says it was enough for them and all their animals and everybody. So God still does the miracle even though Moses didn't follow instructions. And then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice. So I just 
I just told y'all about that. And water gushed out, and the community and all their livestock drank. Verse 12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of Israel, of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. Whoa, 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 whoa. That seems kind of harsh. Wait a minute. This guy's done all these great things and he's he's led the children of Israel out of slavery and they crossed the Red Sea and he's done all these miracles and and wait a minute. This is Moses we're talking about. They've made movies about this guy. I mean, here we are thousands of years later and we're still talking about him. He was such an awesome guy. Have y'all ever seen Prince of Egypt? The cartoon it's a movie about how awesome he is. And in that movie, if y'all remember the, um, the song, There Can Be Miracles, you know that song? You know that's, I don't know if y'all remember, but that's sung by Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston. Them two sang a song together about him. I think anybody that lives their life awesome enough to where Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey sing a song together about you, you should make it into the promised land. All right, thousands of years later, them two are singing about you. You're awesome. You should make it. I, I, my vote is he should have made it, God. Why? Dude made a mistake. I made mistakes. This guy was awesome. And God said, no, you know what? You're not going to lead them in now. Thanks for bringing them this far. You're done. Wait, what? God said, no, you're not going to bring them in. Why? Because God said specifically, Moses knew what God said. God said, speak to the rock. Well, why is that such a big deal? Why does that matter? Matter? Does it matter? Why does that matter? Well, what you may not know is if you look at Exodus 17, 5, this ain't the first time this happened. There was another time before that they were in the desert. They had no water. They were complaining because about all the food they didn't have, and it would have been better to die in Egypt. Let me read you that verse. In Exodus 17, verse 5, exact same things happening and this was before the Lord answered Moses walk on ahead of the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile and go and I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb strike the rock but God told him to hit it and water will come out of it for the people to drink. Wait, so this makes it even worse that he doesn't get to enter in because God, God told him to hit the rock before. It was what God told him in the past to do. God, God already told him, like, it's okay, it's cool, hit the rock. Yeah, good job, buddy. You obeyed me. Let's keep on walking. And now some years later, we're in the same situation. And God said, now I need you to speak to the rock. Why? Because the same thing we were talking about, about the dumbbell. 
if just from now on God said, now you know what to do, every time you go up to a rock, smack it with your stick and water will squirt out, then he wouldn't need faith. He wouldn't need to listen to God's voice. He wouldn't need to grow. He wouldn't need to trust like, oh God, is this going to work? Am I going to fall flat on my face this time? Maybe they're right. Maybe I am a horrible leader. Like all those feelings of, but I'm going to trust. I'm going to step out. And so God said, hey, Moses, you're going to give the people water. But I'm going to require you to do it in a different way. Hey, Dusty, you're going to minister to those people, but I want you to do it in a different way. I'm going to need you to change up the way you're doing it because the, the old way is not requiring much faith from you anymore. You're just kind of on cruise control. You got it on autopilot, and you're not really dependent on me. And so it's not as fresh as it could be. And you're not growing at a rate that you should be growing. So this time I want you to speak to it. But God, I, I know how to hit it real good. You want to see? Watch this. I can hit it. I can hit it behind my back. And God's like, I don't care. Cool. You're awesome. Now, speak. So what areas in your life have you got figured out? What areas in your life are you like, why, why is it not working? Because I'm doing it the way I used to, and I'm putting in the same thing that I used to put in, and it's just not working. There's just not fruit. I don't see the results. But maybe, not always, but maybe God's asking you to do it another way, like he asked Moses. He had done it before. So he just got mad and he was frustrated with the people and he went back to the way that he knew worked. God did not ask for the same. In fact, he will ask you for different because it requires faith and that's how you build the future. Moses lost his faith in people. He got frustrated with the people. Hear you now, rebels. Must I give you water? Like he, he lost his faith in people. And that affected his faith in God. And if you want to walk in all that God has for you, then you not only need faith in God, but you need faith in people. You have to have faith in people. And I see so many people that get burned or they get hurt by people or they get hurt by church or they get hurt by whatever ministry they're in because it all involves people. There's always people there. And so what happens is we have a tendency to throw up some walls and not let people in and we lose our faith in humanity and say, oh, they're all that way or they're, everybody's just greedy or everybody will hurt you or everybody's going to turn their back when you really need them or everybody's going to and so what is that? it's you losing faith in people it's losing faith in humanity 
So I wrote down three reasons. Three things that will keep you from building the future that God has created you to build. If you lose your faith in people. The second one is if you lose faith in the future. Or you don't believe that the future is good. You're not going to work towards building a future if you think there is no future or no hope in the future. The whole world's going to hell in a handbasket. Oh, this economy's going to crash and there's no, God can't, and whether that stuff's true or not, there are all kind of things that, I'm not saying stick your head in the sand, but I'm saying no matter what's coming, God knows it's coming. And we have faith to believe that our God is there in the future and He's here now and He's calling us to serve people. He's calling us to a big future and He's calling us that tomorrow can be better than today. But if you don't believe that, then it's going to be real hard to ever materialize that. It'll be really hard to ever walk in that. If you think the best days are behind you, most of the time they are because that's what you think and so that's what you're going to walk out and you'll spend all your time talking about how good it used to be and you will never create good in the future and walk in all that God has for you because you're so we have to have faith you can't lose faith in the future and the third one was you lost or maybe you never had faith in God in a God that loves you that has your best interest in mind and a God that sent his son to die for you and has a purpose and a plan for your life. A God that can work all things together for your good because you're called according to his purposes. So if you've lost faith in people, it's going to be really hard for you to step forward with the faith to create the future that God has for you. If you've lost your faith in God or faith in the future, that it can be good. God can use you no matter what's coming. Even like Noah, I'm glad he had some faith. So Moses didn't get to go in. But what I found really weird when I was reading this story and I was thinking, man, that seems so sad to me that Moses didn't get to go in after all the great things he did and all this stuff and God didn't even let him go in. Like, It seems really sad, but then I started questioning and reading and, and without going to a bunch of different scriptures because pretty sure y'all already know it is kind of weird that Moses didn't protest or complain when God said you can't go in Moses was like all right like he didn't even and you would think well that's just the kind of leader he was no it didn't there are at least four or maybe five other places that he complained and protested and argued with God we looked at one, was it two or three weeks ago when we were talking about honor, where God came down with judgment on Miriam and Aaron, and he gave Miriam uh, leprosy. And Moses went to him and said, oh, no, 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 you can't do this. Please don't do that. And, and God, like, argued with him. Well, if she spit in her father's face, she would have been cast out of the camp for seven days. This is God talking to Moses. And Moses is like, no, but please, just heal her and let her head. And so God's like, all right, and changed his mind. Moses did this several times. 
God was fed up with the people and was like, all right, I'll just get a new people group. I'm killing all these. They're just complaining. They're just a bunch of idiots. And Moses said, well, please, God, no. And Moses fell on his face and cried out to God and, and petitioned God. And please, no, you can't do this. And so God changed his mind. But he never complained or never said anything or said, God, why? You can't do this. I got to go. Didn't do it. He didn't argue or protest, which he had done multiple times before. But every time he did it before, it was always for his people. It was always standing up for and fighting for and petitioning for and standing in the gap for people, for God's people, for his family, for his nation. Well, that's what Moses was called to do. That was his purpose. Was to bring freedom to the people. See, Moses gave his life for something way bigger than him. He gave his life so that the whole nation of Israel could be free. It's worth the fight. Freedom's worth the fight. God took him up on top of a mountain. After this, what, what we read, God takes him up on the mountain and God let him look at the promised land. From on top of the mountain. God took him up there and God showed him and said, look, there it is. There's all the people down at the bottom of this mountain. And he can see across the Jordan River to the land. And God takes him up there and said, you got him here. You did it. And you've trained Joshua. You got him ready to go. Look at, look at what God said to him in Deuteronomy. Um, I don't remember where it is. Deuteronomy 34, verse 5. <clears throat> and Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there on Moab, up on top of the mountain where he could see the promised land. As the Lord had said, he buried him. You know that? God buried Moses pretty cool like him and God were tight they were buddies and God buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor but to this day no one knows where his grave is Moses was 120 years old when he died yet his eyes were not weak nor his strength gone one translation says he was as strong as he ever was the Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. I think about Moses, how at first what I thought was so sad that he didn't get to walk into the promised land, but he fulfilled his purpose. And at the end of his days, he was as strong as he ever was. He wasn't broken down. He wasn't weak. He got to go out with his pride and his dignity. He could still see. It tells us he was as strong as he ever was, and he had vision. Right? And, and God took him up and walked with him and showed him, hey, you're not going to make it, but your people are. 
your purpose like you got them here and they're going to cross over they're going to make it um Martin Luther King in his last speech the day before he died I just want to read you the last little the last paragraph of that speech well I don't know what will happen now we've got some difficult days ahead but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And He's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And so I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the coming of the glory of the Lord. He's he's talking about Moses. He's putting himself in Moses' shoes. And... Somehow, I believe he must have known, like he must have could sense in his spirit or something because the next day he was assassinated after giving that speech. And like, I've been given this great purpose and this call to lead people into freedom. And I may not get to walk in the land, but I'm okay with that. Because I've been to the mountain. And God said your people are going to walk in it. You might not get to. But they're going to. The last verse where I stopped on verse 9. It says, Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the Spirit. Filled with the fresh. Filled with the new. Filled with the anointing. The Spirit of wisdom. Why? Because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. That's powerful. Joshua wasn't a captain, a leader, a hero, an army man. No, if you go on to read the first part of Joshua, it tells us that Joshua was Moses' servant. But Moses prepared him and trained him and laid hands on him, and that's why the people listened to him and took the land. Moses didn't leave them hanging. In fact, Moses transferred that anointing and that mantle to the one that would take them in. He didn't just run up on the mountain and say, Well, I'm done. God said I can't go in. I quit. No, because... He would have left the people. Moses set Joshua up for success. Don't get to the place in your life where, well, I'm done. If I can't walk in it, I guess it's not for me. Somebody else will have to rise up and do it. I just want to die with my strength and my vision like old Moses. Okay, cool. Who have you prepared to come in behind you? 
and to keep walking it out. Who have you discipled? Who have you laid hands on? Who have you prepared to do what you could not do? See, Joshua had to do what Moses couldn't do. Did you know you can prepare somebody to do something that you can't do? That's what I want to do as a parent. That's what I want to do as a pastor. That's what I, like, I, I want to prepare my three boys to do things that I can't do. And in fact, already have. They've already done things that I can't do. That I will never do. Good things. That's what I want to do. I, I want to. I want to be such a good pastor that I prepare all of y'all to do things that I can't do so that when I'm done, y'all do more. Y'all take the next generation into freedom, whatever that looks like. So I know I need to wrap this up. Paul, I'll show you a verse that Paul said talking about this rock where the water came out, 1 Corinthians 10, 4. Paul in the New Testament was talking about Moses and this rock. <clears throat> and did all drink the same spiritual drink? See, a lot of things in the Old Testament or in the natural, it's a spiritual thing now. It was a spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was following them kind of creepy big rock was following them through the desert turn around like now are we going in circles or is that thing following us I don't know we've been out here for 40 years maybe we're going in circles I'm pretty sure that rock's following us maybe that's why Moses keeps beating it with a stick this old stray rock we picked up in the desert he said he followed him but look what Paul said right there this last line that rock was Christ that word is the anointing, the Messiah, the Messiah that was to come, or Jesus. The rock that was following them and giving them water, it was Christ. It was Jesus. Remember in John 7, um, 38, where Jesus said that he that believeth on me, believeth, it's that same word that we're using for faith, that he that trusts in me, he that believeth on me, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. See, Christ was the rock back then, but now after the cross, He lives in every one of us. So if you believe and you have the faith to trust and believe Him to step out into your future, now you have that river of living water inside of you. That rock is inside of you. And if you will obey and listen, then that water comes out and you can give everyone around you a drink. If you believe, if you have faith and trust, do you know that that word believeth, belief, it means faith, trust, and that it's a Greek word that's translated belief, believeth, faith. It shows up all throughout your New Testament, and it's an action word. Meaning if you're not taking any action, then you're not doing it. He that believeth, I believeth. Well, if there's no action, you don't believeth. You sayeth. 
it's an action word. In John 6, 35, Jesus says, um, and Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth, there's that same word again, put one's faith in, trust in, with an implication that actions based on that trust may follow. It means committed, committed to. He that believeth, or he that doesn't just come to me, but puts a little action with it, that does something about it, shall never thirst. So if you come to him and you get saved, and he that comes to me, you won't be hungry. He'll fill you. But if you believe, you won't be thirsty. So let's end the whole thing back in Ecclesiastes where we started. Back on Solomon's verses. Cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will find it again. Give portions to seven, yes, to eight. For you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour out rain upon the earth. See, what Solomon's doing here, I know we already broke down some of this, but what he's doing here is he's destroying our superstitious relationship with the future. Oh, it's magic. Look at that. There's a cloud. And there's rain. And way back then, thousands of years ago, Solomon's sitting there saying, No, if a cloud's full of water, it pours out rain. Because every cloud doesn't rain. Some of them are just pretty clouds. They have no density. There's no substance. Is that you? Like you look good and you float in here on a Sunday morning, but you got no rain to pour out on the earth? No rain to pour out on the people around you. Maybe you. That's what the word glory means in the New Testament is density. And it's not just magic. Oh, wow, look, it rained. Solomon understood that it's only clouds that are full of water that bring rain. Some clouds don't make it rain. You're supposed to produce rain. Your life does produce rain, whether you realize it or not. And the rain that you produce is a result of the water that you carry. You're all raining. You're all carrying water, whether you realize it or not. Clouds don't rain without water. So if you're full of anger and frustration and bitterness and unforgiveness and you're filling yourself every day with negativity and every time you get alone and you're, you're just full of all that, then you're raining, but it's more like acid rain. It's not growing fruit, that's for sure. It's not causing fruit to grow in the people's lives that you're connected to. In fact, it's killing fruit as it comes up. Why? Because that's what the cloud's full of. What happens? When it gets full, it's going to rain. 
And that's what you've been feeling out of the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks. There's all different scriptures that will say the same thing to back up what Solomon was trying to get across here. But you're going to rain something. So what are you full of? Because if you're full of hope, then you're going to be raining hope on your family and your coworkers and your friends and, and the people that are around you. And, and like if you're full of faith then no matter how much doubt and fear there is, and you're just raining out, you're pouring out faith. Like if you're full, if your cloud's full of love, then you can't help but to rain love. And so as I was thinking about that, I thought of that scripture. We won't turn there because I'm trying to end. But in Matthew 5, 45, um, we quote the scripture all the time that it rains on the just and the unjust. And we always say that as a negative, as a negative thing. But if you go read that in context, it's not. Right? It's rain falls. So guess what? If I decide to be a generous person and I'm giving of myself and giving of my life, guess who benefits from that? Everybody I come in contact with. The just and the unjust. If I'm pouring out hope and faith and love and that's what I'm just, I'm filling my cloud so full of hope and faith and love that everybody I come around, that's what's raining on them. And I've decided to live this generous life and give and give and give. Guess what? It affects everybody I come in contact with. And they're like, even people that aren't righteous or believers or don't even know why are like, man, I like being around him because his hope reigns raining on my hope and it's growing. I see fruit popping up all around me. So what are you full of? How do you know? It'll be raining on the world around you. And if the tree of your life falls south or north or wherever it falls, that's where it lays. Right? But unless you want to make a mark, unless you want to create the future and you're not willing to just let life happen, it's the ones that really make a difference, the ones that really step out and change the world, the ones that I mean, you can look at somebody that's changing the world and say, man, I wish I was like them, but do you? Do you have the discipline? Because the ones that want to leave a mark, the ones that want to step out and change the world, they make the trees fall. Right, Levi has a tree removal business. Tyler and Malachi work for him. And guess what? When they go up to a house and there's this giant dead tree leaning towards a house they don't say well the next storm that comes through if it falls to the south where it lays on the house is where it'll lay and if it falls to the north where it falls is where it will lay no they say hey if we just let life happen that's probably going to smash through that baby's bedroom so what we're going to do is show up with some sharp saws and some knowledge and some wisdom and we're going to start cutting notches in that tree and we're going to hook cables to it if we need to and pulleys and a skid steer, whatever we have to do. And we're going to choose where that tree is going to fall. Because we're not willing to just let life happen. So we're not willing to just let it be. If it's meant to be, it'll be. No. God calls us to do Belief and faith is to take action. 
So what are we going to do? We're going to look ahead and we're going to say, hey, you know what? That tree is going to hurt a lot of people. And so what we're going to do is we're going to chop that tree and make sure it falls where it needs to fall. We're not just going to let trees fall everywhere and become obstacles and hurt people and, and block the path. We're going to step in because that's what people of faith do. That's what people that want to create a future do. We don't just sit back and let life happen. We're going to chop the trees and listen to God's voice and let them fall where they need to fall. You can be proactive. If you want to leave a mark, if you want to build a future, if you want to change the world, start chopping some trees. You know, one of the worst things is to be at a funeral and to hear people up there like trying to make up lies to try to make the person look good. It may look like his tree fell north, but I swear to you a couple of them limbs went south. I know where it falls is where it lays and and ultimately, one day when the tree of your life falls, that's where it lays. There's no more changing that around. But, man, my goal is that I've done such a good job of stepping out in faith and, and chopping down these trees. And, and even when I've weakened my tree to fall in the wrong direction, the wind of the Holy Spirit can straighten me back up. Man, I hope that one day at my funeral, looking around to see which one of y'all are going to, how many of y'all are going to outlive me. And I hope y'all have plenty of good things to say about me. I hope it's not like a struggle. Like y'all are like, oh gosh, they asked me to stand up and say a few things about Dusty. And I, and I know I don't want to stand up and say anything bad. You know, because of the way I choose to live my life, I, that shouldn't be a hard thing. To come up with something good to say. Not that it's not a hard thing to have a funeral, bury somebody you love. Bury, the last thing that he said, whosoever watches the wind will not plant. Whosoever looks at the clouds will not reap. Oh, it's not time. I can't plant. See, they would watch the wind, and I know I don't have to explain this one because I'm in a room full of agricultural specialists and farmers and stuff, but for any case any of y'all aren't, they would watch the wind and they'd say, oh, well, if the wind's blowing, we can't plant today because when you spread the seed, the wind will blow it and it won't land where it's supposed to land. And, but then they would say, oh, well, the wind's not blowing at all today. We can't plant the seed because it's too hot with the sun just beating down so it would scorch the seed. And then the reaping, you know, we got to watch for the clouds because if it's going to rain today, we can't start harvesting all the fruit that we've grown if, if it's if it's too cloudy and it looks like it's going to rain, but if there's no clouds, then it's going to be too hot and we're going to get scorched and sunburned. So we don't need to harvest on a day where there's no clouds. And what Solomon's saying is that if you're waiting for the perfect opportunity to do something, then you will never do anything. Like If you're waiting on everything to line up and everything to work out before you give, good luck. And then, at that point, it's no faith anyways. Right? If you're waiting on, I mean, we can name all kind of stuff. If you're waiting on the perfect time to have kids till you're financially stable and have enough money to put them through college and you've had parenting classes and you know exactly what's coming and what to do and all, then you probably never have kids. I know I shouldn't have. If I needed everything to be figured out and worked out, that's not how it works. 
If you're waiting on the perfect time to go all in, if you're waiting on the perfect time to step out in faith, if you're waiting on the perfect time to take the ground that God said is yours, if you're waiting on the perfect time to step out, Solomon said it won't happen. Just go for it. How? Just start investing in people. You see, the economy of God is completely relational. And everything that God's about, it's, it's always about people. So what do we do? We start filling our cloud and pouring out on people. And we start chopping trees to protect people and to clear the paths for people. And, and we're generous and we give and we send our bread on the water not knowing if it'll return. We make sacrifices knowing that it's helping people and it's helping people find freedom and it's helping kids learn about God and it's helping whatever it is that God's called us to we just start investing in people we bring water we don't wait we can't wait if you wait for the miracle to prepare for the miracle then your miracle will catch you slipping if you wait until the season starts to get in shape then you will be winded and you're going to miss out on victory. I know that from experience. We just played in a men's basketball league and I waited to start losing weight until like the week before. All right, and so I got much better by the playoffs. But what if I would have started getting back in shape two months before we would have got some more wins. My team would have come out better. Right? Because, because I would have been prepared for the season that I was committing to step into. If you will not change your mindset, it'll explode like the old wineskin when God sends the new. I know it doesn't look like you thought it would. And I know the way you've always done ministry, it may not work anymore. I know your parents wouldn't have done it that way. But hear me now. If you do not embrace the new, then you are in for much loss. A new anointing for a new day. God gives grace for today. There is a different power on you than any of the generations gone before because you are dealing with the internet and all kinds of other things. To whom much is given, much is required. You have been given technology and transportation. What will you do with it? Will you invest in people? Will you sacrifice for humanity? Will you cast your bread on the water? Will you cast your brain? Will you cast your money? Will you cast your talent on the water? Not knowing what or if anything will come back to you. Will you sacrifice like our God sacrificed for us? Will you have enough faith to make your tree fall forward into the future instead of backwards into the past? Will you fight and sacrifice for humanity?
Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thanks for taking words that were written down thousands of years ago and making them relevant, making them fit our lives today. God, help us to be not just hearers, but doers of your word. Help us to take something that we heard today and apply it to our lives and and open up our minds and change the way we think because we know that that's the only way we can see a transformation is by the renewing of our minds. So God, my prayer is today that you would renew our minds. God, change the way we think. God, give us a new wine skin for the new wine that you're wanting to pour because we want to make a difference. We want to leave our mark. In fact, we want to leave your mark, the mark of the cross. God, we want to help as many people as we can help. We want to see your kids walk in freedom and come home to a dad that loves them. Our commitment today is to listen to your voice and obey you and to train up the ones under us to, to take over when when we can't. God, we love you. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.